to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host. Good morning and welcome to this morning's Construction Big Breakfast. Uh, Delighted you're able to join us. Um, Today we'll be going through a number of topics, uh, including diversity and also the whole concept of success and how we can deploy digital techniques to assist us in that. And this morning, I'm delighted that for the second time, it's the first time we've had a a return visitor to this podcast, I'm delighted that we've got Casey Georgeton-Levy, a Paralympic uh, athlete who has had tremendous success that we'll hear about in a short while. But so, Casey, you're very welcome. I'll call you Casey throughout this morning, if that's all right with you, because I'll keep on tripping up, up the double barrel name, if it's okay. Could I ask you just... A lot of people will have met you before on this podcast and will now know you, but could I ask you just for those that don't, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about why you are here this morning to celebrate and then we'll go into a little bit more detail thereafter. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so hi everyone, my name's Katie George Dunleavy. I'm an Irish paracyclist. I've been in the Irish squad for 10 years and I recently came back with, um, came back double Paralympic champion and silver medalist. And with my pilot Eve McChrystal, and I'm here to to show my successes um, with Brendan and the team, and to do another podcast, and to and it is a thank you for your support. And you're, you're more than welcome. And as always, Casey, as you know, we talk about breakfast to start off with, the most <laughs> important meal of the day. I've just had a meeting with one of our clients, so I had my scrambled egg and salmon, so it was a nice start for me. But. I presume, like, as you told me last time, you had porridge, whether you're training or not. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, even though I'm not full, fully back into training, I'm still having porridge every day. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Okay, well, look, um, I think it would be remiss of us to not mention a couple of presents that you've brought in today. I, I don't think they're presents for me. I think they're presents that you received. Mm. What do you tell me all about them? Maybe talk through what happened there a, f- a couple of months ago. Yeah, so... Uh, even I, we raced in four events in the Paralympics, two on the track and two in the road. Our first races were on the track. We had the 1K time trial and in the 3K pursuit. We have medaled in the 3K pursuit in world championships in the past. Um, and our last competition on the track was January last year, 2020. So we didn't know where we were compared to the other countries, to be honest with you, and we only had two camps coming up to take care of on the track. Because there's no track in Ireland, we have to go abroad. So we had a camp in Mallorca in July, and then we had one in Portugal, just before coming over, going over to Japan, about six weeks before our competition. And and also we did have to um, yeah, use another bike um, for the races, so it was actually a real, real test. Um, uh, the track events, I find them quite stressful compared to the road. I think it's because it's more enclosed environment and every pedal stroke is kind of um, assessed after. And if you make one slight mistake, it can make a big difference between you winning and, you know, or getting a medal or get qualifying for the race. And for the 3K, for the 1K, we got a PB and a new national record and we were absolutely delighted. And it did show... You know, we were looking at our power files after, and it did show that we were in good form. So it gave us, um, it really encouraged us and helped our confidence before the three k. And in the three k pursuit, we have to do a qualifying race to race to get through to the top, to get through to another race to the medal races. And 
in Rio we were fifth and I think it was like 0.004 seconds away from fourth so that was our race done we were fifth and that was it and this time we were hoping that we would make um, a medal race uh, we knew it was was between about five bikes potentially and uh, we raced the qualifying race and we had like an amazing race and actually broke the world record in that race to to get in that silver gold medal ride off against Great Britain an hour we only had an hour uh, in between the races an hour and 20 minutes and um, yeah so in some ways I actually thought that was a good thing because it stopped me if I have too much time I'll just be thinking through the race what I had to do and actually I'll just probably exhaust myself so actually I was kind of glad as you know that race quite short you know quite close to the other race and we knew our fitness would would be fine Mm -hmm. um so we raced that rate final race against Great Britain for the gold and we just lost out and won the silver but that silver for us was like gold to actually after we had so many challenges and even even come the race day we made changes on the bike and um i just i found it really mentally tough um in some ways i couldn't wait for the race to be over um and i know i know that's not a good way to be Mm -hmm. because you're supposed to enjoy it and i know if i enjoy a race i get the best out of myself so i found that really mentally toiling with me because i felt like pressure to perform and it's only a three and a half minute race if that and um with that pressure, I was kind of going, oh, but I need to enjoy it. I know I'd get the best out of myself if I'm relaxed and I enjoy it. But at the moment, I'm not enjoying it. So a few days before, and you know, the day before, I was like, oh, my head is all over the place. So um, when I actually finished the race and we did, like, it just, we had a great race. I was actually mentally able to perform. Then uh, we were so relieved, I think, and that silver was like a gold um, yeah. medal. And then two days later, we had to completely move accommodation and pack up that night after our two races and go to where the road events were and we had the time trial um two days later and we had to we had time to go on the fuji speedway which where we were racing before the race and go on a completely different bike to the track bike and prepare and do a recce of the course to see what we had to race two days later and uh, we had the time trial i was definitely more relaxed going into it but then we were a paralympic champions from rio so it was kind of pressure to uh, yeah, retain the title. And mm. um, I was, I, I actually had a good feeling about it. I rerun the course beforehand and I really enjoyed the course. I really liked it and I thought I, I liked this course. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't feel too much pressure going into it. I just thought, let's just go and just do the best race we can do. It's all we can do. And and um, to, to come away win that, retaining that medal was mm. just amazing feeling and we won like we won uh, there was footage of us that everyone saw we won by a minute um over second place in the time trial which is a huge margin it can be seconds it has been seconds in the past between us and other bikes so to win by a minute was just um outstanding really it just showed i think just all that preparation and hard work that we put in over the years um to get to those medals it's you know been five years of work from mm-hmm. me eve and our team behind us and then for the road race, so we were we've got one in gold and silver coming into the road race. My favourite event actually out of all of them. We won silver in Rio, so I really wanted to, to kind of win this. The last you know couple of months or even a year, I was kind of going, I just I want to win the road race. Um, but on the day, the course was really wet and quite technical. It was really challenging for especially for a tandem. Eve was really nervous, 
and um, it really tested us um, on the day. It wasn't our physicality or our strength, it was just that um, I think the nerve, uh, we just wanted to, we, we heard and we knew other bikes had crashed in the road races and we just, it was really precarious and um, it was on that limit, but that's racing for you, mm -hmm. I think, especially at that level, you are on the verge of, yeah, you can fall at that corner, but actually you've got to get around it as fast as you can because you're racing other bikes. Mm -hmm. And we were with two other bikes, 92 kilometer race, and we ended up getting a breakaway with two other bikes. And it was only in the last kilometre that we made a move and got away from them. So we attacked on the last hill coming into the straight and we knew we couldn't come into the straight with the Great Britain bike because they beat us in the sprint finish at the World Championships in June. And so we knew they potentially could beat us. We just couldn't take that chance and we had to try and get away. It was only in the last kilometre we were able to mm -hmm. and we did have a huge gap. We didn't realise the gap that we had and we managed to win um, with a big gap ahead to win that medal. I love the way you just say it also matter-of-factly. And what I would encourage our listeners to do, if they haven't done already, is go back to podcast 22 that talks about your journey to, to um, Tokyo. But if I could attempt to just summarise it from my recollection, is that you used to row for Britain, you transferred over to Cycling for Ireland, competed in the London Olympics, competed in the Rio Olympics, got your, your medals in, in Rio, then went to Tokyo and picked up these three babies. So why don't you just show them to uh, to the viewers, please? Because I think they, uh, I was staggered how, I keep on hearing about how, how heavy they are, but mm. how, how, how heavy? 530 grams. So hold them up there, because I think that is, as I say, it is so matter of fact, and yet, oh, and there's three of them there, Casey, hold them all up, because I think, to my mind, and I'm sure to so many others, um, what has always struck me about you, Katie, is your your humility about this, and you skirt mm. over the achievement behind all of that. Now, I'm sure yeah. that's partly your personality and partly of how you rationalise what you do, but yeah. what struck me in, in what you just said there, you, you referred to mental attitude and, and mental awareness and mental mm. exhaustion used at one stage. Yes. You also mentioned about your own... Um, uh, thoughts when you're going to certain races some you felt ready for some you were nervous some you were looking forward to some you weren't so you mentioned about Eve your pilot being nervous about the road race um, all those emotions play into performance mm -hmm. and they can either enhance performance or they can detract from it yeah. what sort of training do you go through to make sure that you're mentally fit as an individual and as a parent to make sure you get your best and maybe then draw it for the benefit of our listeners because we don't all have the benefit to to uh, cycle at the highest level or perform at the highest level. How can you relate that to your own personal life and how could others relate it to their lives in general? Yeah, um, for me, I don't know, when, I've, when I started competition I was much younger, I was so nervous that I could actually couldn't even get the energy out um, and it was just over time that I just learnt to control those nerves. But I do know that some nerves are good. Like you say, you actually do need to have some nerve nerves, especially some of the races, they're short, that, that three kilometres, you've got to, it's a massive amount of power that you have to push through for three and a half minutes. So you can't be, um, sure. I think if you're too relaxed then you're not gonna get anything out. But I know for me, I naturally just get it out. I don't have to um, hype myself up to the races like some people do. They have to like hype themselves up. I'm kind of, I feel that I, I, that naturally just comes out. If anything, I just have to be relaxed 
um, going into the races. And so for that, for to prepare myself for that, um, really it's just, I think I have to give myself positive thoughts. Like a lot of kind of, you can have a lot of negative thoughts coming into your head before the races, like, oh, they've got a better bike, or they've been on the bike longer, or all this sort of thing. So for me, I'm kind of going, oh no, but this is what you've done. You have to just give yourself positive thoughts. And then when it comes to the race, you know you've done all the preparation, I think. We kind of knew coming into the races, we'd done all the preparation we could. We worked so hard, and our team had behind us, and we had a great support team behind us. So when it came to the races, we had done everything we could, and all we could do was just do the best on the day. Yeah. So we just had to really just um, have faith that that would happen, and hope that that would happen. Well, that's a really interesting word, faith that it can happen, because I suspect it's more than that, though. It, it's, mm. it's faith on the day, but it's the real conviction that you've done what you needed to do to get to that point in advance. And maybe it could lead on to the digital side of things. Mm. When you started cycling in 2012 or 2011, yeah. up to the point of preparation for Tokyo, how did you collect and collate all the evidence that showed how you were progressing and performing better, to the point that when you got to race day, you could rely on the faith because you knew you put the best preparation in possible and that was evidentially based as well. Yeah, so when I first started cycling, I think I only had a heart rate monitor right. and I was doing all my sessions just through my heart rate, which isn't the best way of when cycling because it's a you know you're putting the power out of your legs, it's um you don't get instant feedback with your heart rate, your heart rate takes a while to go up and come down, but power is instant. So, as soon as my coach is my being my coach. My current coach since 2013, he came on. He said, "You need to get a power meter because you're going to start using power, power zones." And so that was the start of like using power and heart rate. Yeah, you do have, and it's really just to look to see you can like you can progress your fitness with your heart rate compared to your power. So you know you're pushing power out harder, but your heart rate is lower for the power that you're putting out. And then yeah. my coach is very data driven. Um, I'm not so much. I am to a point, of course, but you are having. You're trying to really over the years improve in all your numbers for, um, you know, the minutes, the five second power, the twenty minute power. If you do a twenty minute power test, it gives you your threshold, and then from there you work out your zones, and you're trying to kind of improve that as well as other things, and as well as monitoring our power. Um, we have um, some of us have a whoop which is kind of like a fitness like a Fitbit which we had the last three years and I call that big brother right. because our coach can you know it is linked to a file on the computer so we have training peaks as well so all my training and data from every session I do even my gym session which will only show the heart rate from my gym session will go uploaded to this file that he will see he will analyse everything and this will also go up the metrics from here. So this just shows your heart rate, your resting heart rate, your sleep, your for your sleep, your REM, deep sleep, light sleep, and your HRV, but also your recovery for that day. So it just goes it's just a bit more information there yeah. to the coach. And so yeah, it's very data driven really. But that's interesting you say it's for the coach. Um, yeah. So again, I'm always trying to, to draw the relationship with business. So yeah. for the coach, it could be the business owner or the, the MD, he's seeing everything and then he's, he or she is looking to pull levers. 
but I'm equally interested in how it can motivate you and incentivize yeah. you to set your own targets and improve your own performance, whatever that means. You know, yeah. whether you want to get fitter, stronger, faster, mm. or just more healthy. Yeah. How do you use data in your daily life? Yeah, I, I would be I would be looking at, at the metrics from this, but I would be looking at my power files as well and to see if I am improving and kind of asking questions and look at, I, I would know I would be looking back at my files as well to see, oh, the last time I did this, it was this. So right. where am I now? How am I improving? Because it's all about really improving. Or there might be, you know, it, it's really incredible actually because even I, the last two years, we, we improved in nearly every, um, P, we got a PB in everything, which for lot, after 10 years of training where I thought I maybe peaked in Rio. Yeah. And then after Rio for three years, I didn't really improve so much, but then we managed to, improving the power but even during that time when I wasn't really improving on the power that I was still improving at things you know there's other things that you can improve on whether it be something in the gym I always have small aims so in the gym I might be doing something and I go I'd love to get this by this time you know I'd love to be lifting this yeah. by the end of the year that's a little goal I have for myself yes. um, and um, yeah I'm always kind of looking at the just go back uh, to what you said there. So you reach, you thought you'd reached the peak in Rio. You were sort of plateauing for three years where it was incremental improvements. But then, if I heard you correctly, it really took off in the fourth year in preparation. Yeah. So bear in mind you thought you were at your peak, yeah. and the plateau almost confirmed that. And then you took off again. Mm. Was it those three years of plateauing that f formed the foundation of that takeoff? Or was there something that you did differently based on the learning of those three years that actually pushed you on again? Yeah, it's interesting. It possibly could be, but I think my improvement came from a few things. Um, well, that happened really in lockdown. It started to happen in lockdown. I think I was getting better recovery. So I was okay. actually not doing anything between training. Interesting. Nothing. <laughs> right. And um, I was eating more as well. I think I was eating more. It was something that I've kind of struggled with in the past, and we had we've had we have a nutritionist, and they were able to kind of help me with my food, eating more carbohydrates for energy, and so that's something I really worked hard on and improved, and um, my power just went up. So interesting, isn't it? Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, something simple, but well, I think that's been a, a, a quite a universal learning from the pandemic is mm -hmm. the value sometimes of doing nothing. Yes. We're yeah. in a society that we feel driven to always be doing something and striving for better. Sometimes you just got to stop and reflect and rest and yeah. recuperate and and go again. Yeah, so I think someone said that to me years ago when I was rowing. They said recovery is as as more important as important, if not more important, than training. That was when I was first starting out, and I was like, "What are they? What are they? Yeah. You need to yeah. train hard." Yeah. And it's only really the last few years I'm going to go. Yeah, re recovery is really important, and it was only due to the pandemic I had that. So it's something that I know I need to make sure that I do if I want to carry on improving, or you know, in the next couple of years. Yeah. And the food thing is important as well. So yeah. it's eating more and resting more. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then so so you've now got a new level, and mm. potentially a new plateau. What's the next yeah. target? Yeah, I'm not sure. So I've had time off now, so that's I'm going back. I'm going way down there on everything. 
I saw a note from Eve the other day. She's over in France or something. Saw lots of cheese and red wine. And oh, yeah, so she's, she's, she's going in a couple of weeks. She's certainly recuperating. She said right? she's not bringing the bike. She's just <laughs> going to be eating and drinking. We're, like, we're both keeping active at the moment, but we're not training as such. So we're like doing whatever we kind of want to, but just doing something every day. Um, and we know that our, our fitness and strength will go down, but we need, I think we need it for, for our bodies immensely because we haven't had a, a time off. We've had 10 days kind of every year and that's it. So for us to have this break, but we realise that we will lose a lot and it will take a while to get there again, but we're kind of, we we're okay with that, if you know what sure. I mean, I am. Um, we're just gonna just, just work hard and it will just, you have to be patient with it. And then we'll come back. Because again, there, there is, um, both in business and high level sport there's almost this relentless pursuit of improvement and betterment yeah. um, which invariably leads to burnout and, and failure actually yeah. and how do you and your support team determine what the, the, the next right step is and at what time mm, that's a good question <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah that might have happened that might have actually was happening to me a couple of years ago. Maybe I was trying too hard um, to, like you say, you are trying to improve all the time and you are looking at the data. And if you don't improve, you're, you know, in that session or you're not, ho- you don't get the number that you're hoping for, you can actually really be hard on yourself mm. and kind of go, what's going on, you know, you should be improving. Um, so really it's to discuss the best way with your, your team. So that'd be the coach really. And if, we have got uh, psychological help if you need it. We've got sports psychiatrists, so he, mm-hmm. you know, he helped me during Tokyo. Um, I spoke to him a few times before the track races, and he was able to help me. Because um, because that's a real, really important issue both in sports and business and, and most walks of, of life, isn't it? That mm-hmm. you strive so hard for perfection and success, mm-hmm. and then you, once you res- once you achieve that, what comes next? Yeah. And quite often, I was watching a great documentary with Paul Merson the other night, and quite often it, it can then lead into certain abuse, mental health, depression, anxiety. Like. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really hard, I suppose, as an, an individual to live beyond that success, being in business or sport. To what extent has mental health in sport developed in your time in it to the point that it's truly helping people for life after sport? I, I find sport for me helps my mental health. Though right. I know it's it's my job as, per se, but being active and I really enjoy what I do. So that's interesting. So that, it's, it's it's what you do as opposed to what it achieves that is is yeah what satisfies you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I love the I love the training right. um, aspect of it, and I I love the racing as well. But I I love the training elements of it and. It makes me feel good, and it's just I, I'm not. I'm used to being active now, so it's, I just it helps me mentally um, cope. Really, I think it's just so that that's how it, that's how it works for me. It's and it reinforces what you said earlier: mm. is that when you do when you feel good, you do better. Yeah, exactly. And, and so yeah. The, it's the feeling good yeah. in yourself yeah. that is actually your driver, and the byproduct is actually yes. these beauties. Whereas a lot of people yeah. are just striving for that, and then what comes afterwards? Yeah, if I don't think I enjoyed it, I enjoy it. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd do so well. I think when, especially you know, my team and Eve, myself, Neil are all the same wavelength as you know. If if you say or we're, you know, when we're really tired, I think we it just brings out the best in us because we are a team at the end of the day. So when it came to the competitions in Tokyo, we were 
we all, yeah, it's like going through maybe our own like mental issues, maybe or you know, like stresses, like you say, or nervousness. But we all we knew we were we were together doing it, and I mm. think that really helped us both in the races. So we had each other's backs, yeah, and we didn't want to let each other down either. Sure. And that must have been particularly relevant this year, where you didn't have the support network of friends and families immediately yeah. adjacent. You knew they were there in the background, but they weren't physically present because of the yeah. restrictions. Yeah, it was strange. Yeah, the only thing really, if my parents usually would be coming and maybe some of my family members, and it would the thing I'd missed was maybe after our races, we would, it would have been able to hug them straight away with the emotion of winning, you know, that would have been directly straight to them. Yeah. But they were at home, um, and I, I, we, even though they weren't there, we kind of knew they were, we knew they'd be watching, and we knew that kind of really gave us strength um, as well. I kind of was like, yeah, I knew the camera like was on me, and we were focused on what we were doing. But I was kind of going, oh, like, they're watching now. They're giving me strength through the camera. There, like I'm going to go yeah. and do it for them as well. Yeah. I want to make them pr- proud as well. So yeah. it really just encouraged us. Is there anything? Just everyone not being there, but back home. But we did have a small support support crew with us, and yeah, that me, even Neil, the support, and we were just we we were together for six weeks. Um, just the, the crew that we had, you know, we, even I and Neil and others are together a bit longer but the six weeks we had and we just we had them there and that just really spurred us on as well and um, it was really odd they were kind of our family away from family and friends yeah. um, because they were there for our last bit of training and our last bit of preparations and they were there for us and we knew they were there and when it came to the races you know nothing was left unturned right. we had everything ready for us to just ride the bike right. and that's all we had to do it's interesting because from my perspective of interest in your view on this is because people couldn't be physically present there, I got the impression that the media were more interested, so there was better coverage. And what particularly I found lovely, frankly, was after every race, your father rang me to let me know how you got on. And I suspect had he been out there, he wouldn't have had time to do that. But because we were networked around the world, Everyone felt that they needed to join together in, in celebrating your success. So, so there was a lovely virtual uh, camaraderie and family feel that came out of it. That I'm not for one minute suggesting can ever replicate what you said the the physical hug with with friends and family. But it, mm. it was a lovely substitute, I feel. But yeah. how did you, how how did it relate to your previous experiences? Um, yeah, really, because our. So for for the track races, that's the only that's the only bit where we'd we'd know about the fact you know the supporters because it's inside and there's usually about six thousand. But it's only the Paralympics when we have world championships. We're only used to using mum and dad and a few others okay, yeah. in the side race. We're kind of not used to any spectators as such. And then on the road, it's ninety two and thirty two kilometers. Yeah. Um, we didn't really notice any different, and we're just so focused, and you're just so like I said focused on the race that the effort that you're going to put out that you actually don't notice who is around to be on you don't notice if someone said oh there were 6,000 you know yeah you'd know if there were 6,000 probably before you were racing but us not having people there didn't really make any difference Mm. to us Um, and then but what we did no no but what we did (laughs) notice though um, it's just like that three and a half minute effort. You just you listen to the coach. You're just focusing yeah. on the coach and giving you the splits. Possibly on the road, but again, I've got my head down and I'm like I can't see anything in front of me. I, you, you might 
you may hear noise on the side of the road. <laughs> sure. Sometimes I hear dad and mum, but <laughs> um, usually mum. Um, but we, we did notice so the coverage at home because the, the, the you know we saw of course on social media and we got, we, um, you know, after the races, we saw RT footage and people sending clips up or pictures and we got so many messages. We couldn't believe the amount of support that was back home. Um, you know the coverage was fantastic the first time it's, I think it's the best coverage there's been mm. and it was the first time that our races were shown so people could see what we could do but it was just great you know that was the huge support, support back home but again you underplay it because it's not surprising because I think Ireland got mm. seven medals yeah. in total and, and you and Eve collected three of those so, <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty special isn't it yeah it is yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's an incredible yeah. and, and, and what yeah. really struck me um I was involved briefly in some of the planning for London 2012 and so the planning that goes into the facilities is immense because every Olympics is about how do you create personal best and world records and Olympic records. So the facilities are really, really important. You got a silver medal in the individual pursuit in a velodrome and you'd never, there isn't a velodrome in Ireland. No. Now I understand either as a consequence of your success or otherwise, they're now planning to build one over there. But how does that work? How do you get a silver medal and you don't have the facilities that the competing nations have? Um, we just we just used what we'd done in the past on the track, you know, and we did have a, a camp in July in Mallorca and then a camp in Portugal before going. And really just every session we had, we just made the most of. And our coach just worked incredibly hard on, you know, preparing us the best we could for it. But we just knew also that, you know, the work we put in physically, the training that we had done would stand us in the, the best. We knew, we just kind of knew we were the strongest kind of fittest going into it. But that track time, yeah, it's unfortunate. You kind of just make the best of what you have. And that's what you have to do, you know. And you're kind of going, yeah. You know, potential to get a medal, just see what we can do. We don't actually know what we can do because we haven't raced on the track since January last year, you know, nearly a year, year and a half, two years. Um, and really maybe there's no pressure as well, no expectation there to, to get a medal. So it's just, I hear you, it's but just, I don't believe you. I think you're underplaying yeah. that significantly. Yeah, but. Yeah, well, <laughs> but that's just how we, you know, it's just how we... No, I, I, I take that, having spoken to you on a number of occasions, I, I know where you're yeah. coming from there, but I, you know, yeah. certainly from my perspective, I don't think others do belittle <laughs> your, your achievement, it's a lot more than that. Um, yeah. But one of the aspects I would like to just uh, touch on, um, and it, I, I recognise the sensitivity of that, as a, but the context of this is, particularly in the construction sector, um, there is a, a race for talent, there isn't enough talent available to this sector at the moment but we're arguably not fishing in the right pools for talent. You know, it has traditionally been a male-orientated uh, industry. Um, I've been in the industry for too long that I care to remember now. It is getting better, but it has got a long way to go in a number of fronts from the diversity, but particularly from a, from a female perspective and from a, if I can use the right term, disabled perspective. I suspect that as an industry, we are not really opening ourselves as much as we should do. And I'd welcome your perspective on how you view your, your personal situation and what industries and businesses could do to be more inclusive 
and maybe take me through the journey you've been in in sport to see have you seen any similarities between business and sport in either it's more embracing or less so and in your career has it got better or worse in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah cycling is I think it's sport as a whole but cycling from what I've seen I know it's paracycling it's more male there's more male athletes there's more male cyclists and staff members so like since I've been in the squad it has been male dominant um, there's only been a few members female staff I think it's it is changing it is improving but it's still a long way to go um, I think in, in inclusion um, I think getting women into sport is the issue as well um, cycling a lot of uh, they just um, I think there's a tendency to be kind of um, unsure and nervous about the sport it, is, it can be dangerous on the road and um, it's just trying to get the youngsters into it I think the velodrome in Ireland will help immensely getting the children in a safe environment on mm-hmm. there and then they'll lead onto the road and to you know mountain bike and everything so that's that's um, make a big difference and um, link has to start from development as well getting girls into the sport and when it comes to um, the business yeah I'm not sure to be honest but, it, but it's also that. the fact that that the disability you had has not yeah. hindered your pursuit of personal growth and achievement no. No, and that started really from school. So you know, I was encouraged. Um, they, I had, I was moved to maybe it was. I went to a special school, so a school for blind and visually impaired student students, and there was opportunities to try different sports out there that I could do. that were available for me, and we were encouraged, all of us, to be active. Mm-hmm. And it was really through encouragement from a member of staff when I was like fifteen even earlier and 13 to try different sports out and I kind of I enjoyed them um, and they tried you know I started to get a bit of coaching in the sport as well but for me it was just about being active and enjoying it and I, I was struggling at school so I think it really helped me get through school right. at that stage like I said like mentally at the time I think it was just an outlet for me and helped me get through um, you know because I was diagnosed at the age of 11 moved to a special school so I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, I was told, you know, I had this eye condition. I could lose my sight, but I thought I could see fine. And um, even though I struggled at school, so then I was moved to school as well, and I just didn't like change. I just, mm. it was just, uh, I didn't want to stand out either. So I was kind of really struggling with that as a child. And sport for me just, um, it gave me something to focus on. I enjoyed it. So it was, um, mm-hmm. that's due to the encouragement and opportunities I was given. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's incumbent on any business, any sport, to mm. make itself available, provide the environment, be encouraging, yeah. and explain what can be done rather than what can't be. Yes, that's right, yeah. Uh, but then it needs reciprocation, these people that are prepared to, to be brave and courage, have yeah. the courage just to, to take a chance, because uh, yeah. that can't be easy. <laughs> no, can't no, be. no, no. Well, look, I think in that, probably a good time to, to bring that to a cl- close. I'm really delighted to see you again. I'm, I'm, I love the fact that you brought the, the maybe you stay and, and meet with the team and, and show them around. I know that they'd, they'd be delighted to see this. And if, if people wanted to make contact with you to find out about your ambitions for the future and, and maybe how they could help, what's the best way to, to contact you? Uh, contact, um, you can contact me through social media really, if you, you know, messages through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Okay. Yes, 
And well, if it's okay with you, we'll, we'll show the yeah, links up on, on the website. And that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, well, I really appreciate you yeah, coming well, in to, to join us today. And, and thank you, everyone, for, for joining us. I, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode. Please do subscribe to our channel. If you liked what you, you saw this morning, uh, please give us a, a five-star review, share it, link it with others. And as importantly, if you think you've got a story you'd like to share with us or you'd like to, to come in even to be controversial, do uh, contact us on the website, fill in the contact form, let's have a conversation going, let's get you in front of camera and let's uh, continue the, the conversations together. So thank you again, Casey, really appreciate you coming in. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope we'll have many more of them to come and I wish you continued success in whatever you do and, and I hope that Eve enjoys her red wine and cheese when she gets to France. <laughs> And thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye for now. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.